0: Good. Lovely to be in God's presence and uh, to know that we're a fellowship of people that God has called out to be his very own, his treasured possession. How wonderful. Yeah. Well, as Steve says, we're um, continuing in our series in the Bible's wisdom literature and uh, today we're in Proverbs chapter 6 And this is the sermon you have all been waiting for. (laughs) It has such an engaging title. And you will be leaning forward in your seats. It's the sluggard. Right? So let's see what the Bible says about the sluggard, shall we? So Proverbs 6 and 6 to 11 I've extended the number of verses from what we published anyway, but here we go. So this is what Solomon says. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It's not a word we regularly use, is it? Sluggard. But just think what comes to mind when you think about sluggard. It's a pretty harsh, derogatory term isn't it? Um, I think it means an habitually lazy person. Perhaps we all have times when we succumb to moments of laziness when we know that we should be doing something but just can't find the energy to do it. We can't find the, the effort to make it work. But, but here we're considering someone whose life is characterised by inactivity, neglect carelessness and non-achievement. And Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, deplores such people, as do other writers in the Bible. So intense is his delight dislike of the sluggard that he mentions him fourteen times in Proverbs. And interestingly, this is the only place in the Bible where this word is used. And uh, later I think we'll use the words lazy and laziness and maybe slothful, which are more familiar to us. So overall, the judgment of the sluggard in Proverbs is this. If a man doesn't work, he will not prosper. He will not eat. He will be in constant trouble and be unreliable. And he will be a drain on others and will end up in poverty. He will come to ruin. Now the ant, on the other hand, is in direct contrast. I don't know if you do this, but if I'm walking in the woods and I see an anthill, I have a great desire to get a stick and to poke it a bit, very gently, you understand, and just to see how they react. They are amazing. Firstly, I'm amazed that such tiny creatures are able to build such an enormous anthill. In some countries, they're up here. Ant hills. Secondly, when I disturb it, they immediately organize themselves to repair the break in their structure. And Proverbs says they appear to have no chief, officer, or ruler. They just know what to do and get on with it. Their achievements are the result of a natural motivation and skill we would call instinct, it's put there by God. But of course, human beings are different. And whilst we do have some creative traits because we're made in the image of our creator God, sin has marred that image and we may not naturally be industrious. In fact, we may lean more to being slothful. The defining factor that will affect our choices is motivation. And later we'll see how this affects our Christian response. So let's have a look at some of the characteristics of a slugger as described in Proverbs. This is not exhaustive. There's an awful lot there. For example, he will not feed himself. He will not look after himself and eat properly. Uh, He is someone who starts many things but finishes few. He is unreliable and a nuisance to others. Because he is unwilling to work hard and develop his skills, he has little to offer others. He is unproductive, unfocused, concerned about self more than others. And he will be a pain to anyone who employs him. He won't plan ahead. It says the sluggard does not plough in autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. He does not take responsibility for his fields or vineyards entrusted to him. He constantly makes excuses for his inaction. He will refuse to face difficult tasks. He will hide behind cowardly excuses uh, and mar- to mask his laziness. And I like this one in, in Proverbs. He says, There is a lion outside. I should be killed in the streets. He has trouble getting out of bed. It says, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard on his bed. He will delay doing things, always putting them off. We call that procrastination, don't we? He never finds time or energy to do what he should. His behaviour is self-destructive. It says the desire... Of the sluggard kills him for his hands refuse to labor. He has constant trouble. It says, The way of the sluggard is like a hedge of thorns all the way around. No matter where he turns, there is trouble. He is anxious and restless. The soul of a sluggard craves and gets nothing. He has a totally false appreciation of his own wisdom. It says, the slugger is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who answer sensibly. What a distorted appreciation of himself. We might say that he lives in a fool's paradise. These are just some of the the practical outcomes of a life of a sluggard or the habitually lazy person. It's about cause and effect. Proverbs doesn't mention any spiritual implications uh, regarding a a lazy person. Um, But, of course, there are some, because it's in the Bible. Uh, These character or behavioural traits are generally, generally in respect of a person's attitude to work and responsibility. And work is not seen as something evil to be avoided but is a good gift from God to be embraced and not only as a source of material provision but also of fulfillment and character refining. Therefore to willfully refuse to work or to work half-heartedly goes against the creator's plan and is therefore sinful. We see from Genesis 2 that as part of his creation God put man on the earth to work it and to keep it and God gave him dominion over all of creation as his co-regent, his co-ruler. We are God's agents, his representatives to benefit from the produce and resources of the earth, yes, but also to care for it and overall to glorify him in the process because we know that in all things we are here to glorify God. After what we call the fall recorded in Genesis 3 when the first man and woman disobeyed God and were driven out of the garden in the presence uh, presence of God the creation was cursed because of man's sin so that working the ground would become hard work often by the sweat of man's brow. However God had not withdrawn the mandate For man to fill the earth and subdue it with work in its many forms at the heart of it. Throughout the Old Testament, God gave the Israelites specific instructions about how to do their work. He also gave them instructions about providing for those who had less. He says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field, Or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. For I am the Lord your God. This is the heart of God um, for the alien and the stranger to be worked out through his people. This command confirms the importance of work, but God does not tell the people to harvest everything and then simply give food to the poor. Instead, he tells them to leave enough of the grain to allow the poor to work for themselves, because work gives a sense of purpose, productivity and dignity. The Relief Agency Tear Fund, which you'll all know about, has found that the best way to help people around the world when they're facing fuel, uh, um, food poverty, uh, in addition to giving um, emergency aid, They give them the means and the instructions to grow their own produce uh, and to raise animals such as goats to start a small herd and to give them sewing machines to make garments and other things to sell which not only provides for them into the future but gives them the dignity and purpose and satisfaction. So work not only gives us a livelihood but also... Um, purpose and dignity and is part of the reason for being here it's how God planned it to be work is natural not unnatural it is noble and at times hallowed even though some work is hard or tedious strange as it may seem God is a working God and his act of creation is called his work Genesis 2, verses 1 to 2 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And of course, later, God gave the seventh day or the Sabbath day as a day of rest. Therefore, rest is also part of his plan alongside work not idleness not laziness not neglect but proper rest let's now turn to the new testament and see some of the things it says about work and laziness jesus communicated his thoughts on laziness through the parable of the talents where jesus tells uh, three of his servants who were entrusted with a piece of his fortune. The the footnote in my Bible says that a talent, which is what it was given, is the monetary worth of that, is about 20 years' worth of a labourer's wages. So it's huge. The first servant servant doubled his money. Uh, He put it to good use. He invested it. The second servant increased his share as well the third lazy servant went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. He saw no reason to put that resource to work despite the intent of his master. And his master called him, you wicked and slothful servant. The servant played it safe in case maybe he did something wrong and he so achieved nothing. Whether you think Uh, of a talent as an actual monetary worth or as this parable is often interpreted as gifts and abilities bestowed on us by God, not putting our talent to use, not developing it for the benefit of others and for the glory of God is a mark of laziness and Jesus calls it wicked. The apostles, when writing to the churches, were concerned not only for the individual's spiritual help, health and well-being, but also about the individual's impact on the community. Paul writing in 2 Thessalonians 36 to 12, says this: "Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition, that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labour, we worked day and night that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Elsewhere, of course, Paul makes provision for the proper support uh, for those who labour among us in the gospel but here he is seeking to create a culture of responsible work and non-tolerance of laziness his opening words suggest that he viewed idleness like a disease where others might catch it others might be tempted to imitate the lazy In Acts 20 verses 32 to 35, we have Paul gathering the Ephesian elders for what he thought was his last time with them. And uh, he takes this opportunity to encourage them and instruct them. And he says this, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, and give you at the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we may help the weak, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So notice that um, work is viewed not only providing for him and his companions, but also helping others in need. And that giving away some of the fruits of our labours is a way that we will be blessed, made happier, than when we receive. Although work is integral to all life, it is an essential feature of the people of God. The teaching of the Bible regarding work uh, became known as the Judeo-Christian work ethic and has undoubtedly influenced people and nations throughout history. Working hard is seen as a virtue, and this has permeated societies around the world. However, the Bible does not condone workaholics. We do not work merely to amass worldly, world, worldly worth, wealth, worldly wealth, uh, which Jesus warns about in Matthew six, doesn't he? But we do it to bring glory to God and support our families and others. Uh, Let's now look at what our motivation should be as Christians. Clearly, the sluggard, above all, lacked the motivation to work. This is to be over and above the natural motivation of the interest, the art, the creativity, the satisfaction, the fulfillment, which can come to anyone when work is done well and is enjoyable. And most people want to work for the reasons that we've been considering. But what about Christians? Is there another dimension so that we do not work hard and avoid slothfulness just because we know we should? Well, here are three reasons. Firstly, God has made us new people, born again by the Spirit of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, special works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2:10 For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These works can be wide-ranging from working in jobs that enable us to contribute to the needs of others or finance the advance of the kingdom to the relief of the poor, to missionary work, to serving in the church and preaching the gospel, and of course, much more. And this applies to all who have been born again. All have been given uh, works to do uh, by the eternal God. Secondly, these works are a testimony to the presence of God in the world, that people may glorify him. Matthew 5 Maybe you remember when I spoke on hospitality a little while ago. I said that our hospitality to people outside the church may be their first experience of the love of God. So good works are important and they display the glory of God in the earth. Thirdly, we are not primarily working for ourselves or our families or even those in need. We are working for God Colossians 3:17 and 23 says this and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus that's not just the good works that he has prepared for us in advance but whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the father through him and then verse 23 whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We can work cheerfully and without complaint because we're working for the Lord who loves us and who has redeemed us. Undoubtedly, some work is hard and is a grind, or it may be just boring. But here is the antidote um, that can take the focus away from the work and onto Christ. I'm not suggesting that it's always easy. It may take quite a bit of discipline. But it's the antidote. In the, um, in the 17th century, a young man at the age of 26 joined the Carmelite order of monks in Paris, taking the name Brother Lawrence. Who's heard of Brother Lawrence? Yeah, oh well, very good. You might even have the little book. Um, he remained part of the monastic community for 50 years until his death. He never became a priest but stayed a lay monk. And for years his main duty was cooking and cleaning in the kitchens of the priory. And um, a little book was produced based on his collected teachings entitled The Practice of the presence of God. The basic theme of the book is the development of an awareness of the presence of God in every situation and how all his mundane duties became a joy. He was working for the Lord. Just read you a little bit. This is a comment on him rather than his words. In his business, in the kitchen to which he had naturally a great aversion. He didn't want to work in the kitchen. Having accustomed himself to do everything there for the love of God and with prayer upon all occasions for his grace to do his work well, he found everything easy during 15 years that he had been employed there. So that's great. That's Brother Lawrence. An insignificant man becomes quite well known because of his devotion to God. When Paul wrote his letter to the Colossians, many of the first Christians were slaves, not chain gang type slaves, um, but people who were bonded to households. And Paul says this to them in Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 5 to 8, bond servants whether he is a slave or free. So looking at work, we've quite naturally shifted our attention away from the sluggard, and I think most of us wouldn't identify with such wasteful life. We saw that he is lazy in the extreme. Nevertheless, as Christians, we need to be on our guard that some of the unhelpful traits of laziness do not creep into our lives, particularly as our circumstances change, like moving from employment to retirement. We have to watch that boredom and a lack of discipline do not rob us of our zeal for serving the Lord. As our circumstances change, we look for new opportunities to work for God. I had the immense privilege, as many of you know, of uh, being given early retirement at the age of 50. I still can't believe it, uh, it's such a privilege. And, um, and I had to make adjustments as to how I use my day. At first it seemed strange that my life was not regulated by work, and I was not accountable to an employer. But I had an increased sense that with more freedom to make choices how I spent my day, I was accountable to God. Amongst other things, I set time to, to get up for Bible reading and prayer. And I was determined that I would be available to serve as and when the Lord gave me opportunity. And for many years, I've been able to serve in church leadership without being drain on, on, a drain on the church financially. To be honest, however, I think in more recent years, I've become less disciplined, okay? And, and, as, I, and as I've thought about this subject, I was thinking, where, where else may I um, have become less disciplined? And although opportunities are obviously limited here on a Sunday morning, I have become lazy when it comes to contributing in worship on some days there is just a sense in which I'll perhaps leave it to others this morning Um, so laziness can creep in unnoticed at first of course with retirement I had much more time for myself Um, and for a season I was able to look look after my elderly parents uh, in our annex but it was and still is his time The good works that he has prepared for me have not yet come to an end. For all of us, until he takes us home, we're here to make a difference and to glorify God in all that we do. Now, failing physical or mental health may change or restrict our activities, and that's fully understood, but there will always be other things we can do. We may retire from secular employment, but we do not retire from the work of the king. There may be legitimate reasons, apart from failing health, why it's time to cease some Christian service, some Christian activity, such as making room for younger people to come through the ranks. However, I think some Christians see the receipt of their state pension as a signal uh, to withdraw from church activities and find other pastimes. I'm sure that's not you. Many of you know John Piper and love his books. All right. um, he famously challenges the American dream of retiring early and seeing the rest of his life as one uninterrupted vacation on Florida beaches. He says, When God calls us home to give an account For the last 20 years of our life, our massive seashell collection won't seem very impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Telling, isn't it? It is. Before I um, close, returning to thoughts of ordinary daily work, I want to acknowledge that there are many people who are out of work through no fault of their own. Maybe they've been made redundant and are finding it hard to find another job. We wouldn't put the label sluggard on such people. It doesn't apply to them. And and if they're listening to this, it it may seem like rubbing salt into the wound, but that's not the intention. The basic principles still stand, and I'm glad that there are Christian organisations like CAP with their job clubs that are helping people getting back into work. So to summarise then, we've seen that from the time of creation work has been part of God's intention for mankind and laziness is condemned. We have seen that for those who become a new creation in Jesus Christ, God has ordained special work that he calls good works. Also Whether special work or ordinary day-to-day work, all is to be done for him and for his glory. So just coming to one more scripture, which is 1 Corinthians 25.10. So does this mean that we have to work harder? Is this my message to you? Is that what you're getting from my message, that you have to work harder? Harder? Am I laying another burden on you? Well, the answer is yes and no. All right, let's read the scripture. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul knew that that his life had been transformed by the grace of God. He was a new creation, and that knowing Jesus was the greatest thing in his life. Not so he could sit back and coast into eternity, but that he could use all his energy in making Jesus known. So he says, God's grace was not for nothing. It was not in vain. It has produced something in my life. Yes, we are saved entirely by what God has done by his grace so that knowing the undeserved favour of God, knowing his smile, whatever we do, knowing that our work can never add anything to our salvation, we are free to work hard, not to win his favour but because we have his favour and not for fear of falling short but out of love for him. As we do this, we find we accomplish things we never thought possible because God is working with us. The grace of God is with us. When he finally takes us home to be with him, our lives will have been marked not so much by our achievements but by the amazing, lavish grace of God that has enabled us to do so much for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this this is the day that you have made. You've made it for your glory, and we are for, for your glory, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Free us from anything hindering our following you boldly and according to the full purpose and potential you desire for our lives. Guard our hearts and minds against all forms of laziness, sloth, sluggishness, and poor work habits. Free us from distorted thoughts that hold us back from fully believing we are who you say we are, and that your grace is sufficient for us to fi- fulfill all that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.